all the way through verse 49. Now this morning we're just going to look at these first six verses. Luke 20, or 6, 20 through 26 here. And as best we can tell from Luke's gospel, this would be Jesus' sermon on the mount. And in this sermon, Jesus preaches what we call the Beatitudes. And just like we just said to the children, the Beatitudes would be supreme blessings. So these are things above all else. He also gives here some woes. So what are some of the things that Jesus says are, these are blessings in your life, but in these things, these are not blessings in your life. In fact, these would be just the opposite. Um, for me, I think of a woe kind of like uh, when I was a kid. I'd be in the middle of doing something, and my father would say, whoa, 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 whoa. What he meant by that was you need to stop doing what it is that you were doing. You can think of a guy on a horse, and he pulls back on the, the things that he holds in his hands there. The reins. Yeah. Y'all can, I'll laugh at you on the golf course when you don't know the terminology, too. Um, he's saying to that horse, whoa, hold back there, right? And so Jesus is for sure giving some woes here. So this morning, I want us to focus just in these first few verses about the two attitudes Jesus is presenting here in his Sermon on the Mount. And then next week, we'll look also at the commands that he gives and then the manner in which he illustrates these things in his sermon. Let's read and then we'll pray. Luke 6, verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven." For in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. But woe unto you that are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, for you shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Let's have prayer before we begin. Brother Doug Greer, do you mind leading us in prayer? And when we do... Um, Brother Jimmy and Miss Linder will write today. They're probably driving home right now. They've been there on ministry on behalf of our church, so we need to lift them up in prayer as well. Amen. Thank you, Brother Doug. So Jesus presents two attitudes here, and he's speaking to his newly appointed apostles and then to this larger group of disciples. And he talks about a blessing and he talks about a woe. I like how Warren Wiersbe writes. He says here, the Lord explained this sermon in this sermon that the truly blessed life comes not from getting or from doing, but from being. The truly blessed life comes not from getting or from doing, but from being. And Jesus' emphasis here 
is on that state of being. It's on the state of being of God-like character. And he focuses on attitudes. Here in our text, verses 20 through 26, he focuses on our proper attitude toward our circumstances. What is going on in life and how are you responding to what is going on in life? As we move forward in verse 27 through 38, Jesus is going to speak toward our attitude toward the people that are in our lives. Verses 39 through 45, he'll talk about our attitude toward ourselves. And then we end what is chapter 6 for us in verses 46 through 49 as Jesus addresses our attitude toward God. So our attitudes toward circumstances, toward other people, toward ourselves, and toward God. That's all of life, isn't it? I mean, that's all that we deal with on a day-to-day basis from year one till the end is encompassed here in this sermon. And in this sermon, Jesus addresses four essentials for true happiness. The joy of the Lord is our strength, but Christians don't have to just settle with joy. We can actually be happy. We can smile. They've kind of lost their popularity now, but I was so glad when this family from Louisiana who liked to kill things got their own TV show, and it became popular to say, happy, happy, happy. It's just great. You all weren't any happier than when that was primetime TV. Well, it's on my antenna now, and I watch it on some channel that comes out of Nashville. It reruns, so I'm still happy. You can watch it, too, and be happy. But there are ways to have true happiness in life, and Jesus addresses this in this sermon. He talks about faith in God. Boy, I'll tell you one way to be sad is to put your faith in anything else. Jesus will talk about love toward others. One way to be disgruntled and just agitated with everybody else in life is to just stop loving them. It's so easy. You could, you could do one or two things in life. You could focus on everybody's faults and the things you don't like about them, or you can focus on the good things that you do like about them. And your decision there, however you decide to approach that, will cause you to have happiness in life or not. Then Jesus talks about honesty with ourselves. You're struggling with that one right now. Because I'm telling you that you can deal with your faith in God and your love toward others, and it can change the way your week's going to go, and you're saying, well, you don't know who I live with or work with or who my neighbor is. And then Jesus talks about our obedience toward God. It all comes down to that, doesn't it? I mean, faith in God is obedience toward God. Loving other people in spite of themselves is obedience to God. Being honest with ourselves about our own state of being is obedience to God. So in these things, Jesus gives us a great sermon here about our attitude toward circumstances, other people, ourselves, and God. And He gives us these essentials for true happiness. He begins then in these verses with the blessings and then the woes. So let's just take them one at a time and give them their due. Verse 20, we see the first blessing that Jesus pronounces as He says, Blessed are you poor. And He lifted up His eyes on His disciples and He said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, be sure of who Jesus is speaking to here. He does not say, Blessed are the poor. He doesn't say it in a general sense that everybody who is poor is blessed. He is speaking specifically to His disciples. Some would even say specifically to the apostles He just called a few verses back in training to them. He is speaking this way. 
I'm not sure where I fall on that one, but for sure it's those followers of Christ and not the general public. So he says to them, there's a blessing on you as poor. Now, we know that poverty in and of itself is not a blessing. In fact, if you've ever been in any state of poverty, even for a small amount of time, you understand that it is a curse. There are some... Thomas, stop it. (laughs) He had his pirate scope out checking me out there. (laughs) Get get out your Bible. Get out your Bible and be watching. I just said last Sunday, I said, it's somebody else's kid this week, it'll be mine next week, and there it is. Poverty is not a blessing. It is often a curse. Jesus was not speaking to people here who were poor because of laziness or because of tragedy or other reasons beyond their control. What Jesus is talking about here when He says, blessed are you poor among His disciples, He's referring to those who purposefully choose to be content in order to share their Savior with others. Defining the word poor is difficult in our day and age. I mean, it's really not. You could, you could look on some and say they're poor, but I think some people are just broke and they're not poor at all. I think some people are poor, but they're actually very rich. You understand what I mean there? It's one of those things that's kind of relative. So we need to be sure what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about those who decisively are content with such things as they have. So by somebody else's standard, they'd say, boy, they're, they're awfully poor. But when they get to digging into the reason for it, they say, it's almost like they intend to be this way. So from this we learn that the kingdom of God belongs to those who are satisfied with the supply of their current needs so that everything above that can go into the work of the Lord. This is not Jesus saying, you must be poor to please me. This is Jesus saying, for those of you who would be my followers... There'll be a line in the sand for you at some point in your life. And I think it's different from family to family, from job to job, from income level to income level. Some who live here will look at those who live here and they'll say, well, they're not being poor like me. But you might find if you went and lived up there where they are, they're actually living in this regard, in the biblical sense of poor, more so than than you ever claim to be. How do we determine that? Well, it's like the widow's might. Boy, she came in and she brought a portion of a penny. And Jesus taught his disciples there and said she gave more than everybody. And they were like, he can't count. He can't do math. And he says, no, 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 no. The rest of you guys came in and gave of your abundance. You gave where it didn't hurt. You, you, you just gave just some. You know, you gave McDonald's money. She gave all that she had. So whether you're, by world standards, rich or poor or middle class or whatever you are, is irrelevant here. Jesus is saying, you are blessed if your mindset is, I'm going to be content where he has me so that I can give more toward his kingdom. He goes on to say then, in verse 21, blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for you shall be filled Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. So again, there, as we talked about the poor, we also address the hungry. This is not the masses of humanity who are suffering from malnutrition. This is not what Jesus is talking about. He's looking at his disciples. Seems like when they were hungry, they got fed. Right? So why would he say to them, blessed are you who are hungry? What's he talking about there? 
He's talking about the disciples practicing self-control, self-denial even, while addressing human need, both spiritual and physical. Have you ever gotten so busy into something you were passionate about that somebody had to kind of get your attention and say, have you eaten? You ever had that happen? I never have. I was just wondering if anybody else has had this happen to them. No, even me. I love to eat. If you're around me very long, you'll find out that I, I, I ordained the day based off the meals. You say, I need to meet with you. I'll be like, is it breakfast or lunch? <laughs> Which one? Just kind of how my brain works. I was taking a trip with a guy, and he said, you planned the trip off the meals, didn't you? I said, absolutely. Why would you drive all of these miles and not stop at good restaurants along the way and eat the food that is there? This is the thing. But even with that, there are times where my wife has to say, as I'm leaving the house, I get all get dressed in the morning, get excited to come over here. It doesn't happen as often as I would like, but there are days where, boy, it's just, in my mind, I'm like, I got everything cleared off the list yesterday, so all I have to do all day long is study the Word. That's it. Now, that's six flags for me at my age. It's a fishing trip. It's, it's a hunting trip. It's whatever it is that you do that you get excited and giddy about. When everything's off the list, and I can come over here in my little cove, and I can get in front of the computer, and by the end of the day, I look around, and I haven't eaten, and my back is sore from hunching over, typing all day long, that's been a great day. But on those days, my wife will catch me on coming out the door, and she'll say, hey, get some food. I'm like, well, I'll get something. She said, well, you won't. And you'll come home grouchy because you're hungry, and we don't want you to come home grouchy. I'm like, all right. So she hands me some food, and I walk out the door with that food. You get so into what it is you're doing. I think this is a little bit of what Jesus is talking about here. He says, disciples, you'll you'll be blessed when you practice self-denial. And he speaks specifically of hunger here while addressing these spiritual and physical human needs. You're content with less in this life if it receives to more receiving the gospel. I would encourage us to be so passionate about something biblical in that regard that maybe people have to remind us to eat. To choose that route above the pursuit of indulgence. And he says here, you'll be rewarded on a future day. In that same verse, then we get blessed are those of you who weep. So blessed are ye that hunger now, verse 21, you shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for you shall laugh. Now, sorrow is not a blessing. I've got a, my favorite uncle, and that's no offense to any of my other uncles. My, my uncle, the only uncle I have on my father's side, I consider him my grandfather because my grandfather died when I was a young boy. So that's my uncle Jimmy, and he's my favorite. But my favorite uncle on my mother's side is my uncle Johnny. He's the one that I told you about when I was a kid. He had an accident and was not able to, aneurysm burst. He was not able to work again after that. And he he just spent all his time with me as a little boy. I love that. Every time I'd go to my grandmother's house, whatever I could think of to do, let's go to the baseball field. Okay. And he would freeze a gallon jug of water. It was a pretty good walk through our town to the baseball field. He'd walk me to the baseball field. He couldn't drive. And he'd let me piddle around on the baseball field till the the ice would melt the water, and we'd drink it all day long. And then as it got far enough that he knew we needed to head back, me and Uncle Johnny, we would head back. And there was things like that my whole life. But that uncle is in the hospital. My mom told me last night he's in ICU. He's got fluid building up around his lungs. And he's of that age where, you know, this could be, that could be the end of his life. It's very sorrowful for me. It's very grievous. You have these same experiences in your life. 
I don't think this is what Jesus is talking about here. Because sorrow is not a blessing. But still, Jesus says here that tears shed with gospel purpose carry great weight. I think this could be tears for the lost. Tears over the state of the the church in the world today. I mean, we rejoice. We, We love our church. But if you look at the church as a whole, boy, it could bring you to tears. Jesus says, blessed are those of you who weep. I think this is sorrow endured in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It brings to mind Psalm 126. A couple great verses. I hope you have them underlined and maybe memorized. 126, verse 5 and 6. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Did you grow up in a church where you would sing that? Bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing. Yeah, absolutely. This is the idea. Blessed are those of you who weep. Then we see blessed are those of you who are hated. Verse 22 and 23. Blessed are you when men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. Now, if you're hated for your own sins or your own stupidity, then this verse is not for you. Jesus is speaking here of those who would be despised, reproached, left out, slandered because of their loyalty to Him. Jesus tells His followers who find themselves here, rejoice. He says, Leap for joy if you find yourself there because you've earned great rewards in heaven. Parents, I would encourage you this morning to raise your children that way. We've embraced a very, very sinful mentality of we just want them to fit in. We want them to have friends. We want them to be liked and to be cool and to be popular. But if we're raising them for Christ, they're not going to be. And they will be around here. (laughs) We'll celebrate them in this place. But at school and work and play, they're going to be seen as odd. I would encourage you to make them miss something for church. It's, It's a testimony. I would encourage you to have that conversation with the leader out in the world who says, we're going to do this on Wednesday night. But you say, no, 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 no. We've made an obligation to our church to be a part of the Christmas play. So we're going to have to miss. Or if you want to have it earlier or later or some other time, we'll be there. But we have a higher obligation. It's down at the church. I would encourage you to raise your children this way so that they'll be this way as adults. So that they'll raise their children that way. I would encourage you to be this way. Just put your foot down and say, I can't work on Sunday. I can work Sunday afternoon. Now I realize some of you have jobs where, you know, we have firefighters in that church. I'm thankful that every other weekend or whatever their schedule works, they have to go fight fires and police officers. Don't get me wrong. I get that. But for the most part, we could work it out. They could do without us. Oh, they'll despise you. 
They'll hate you. They might look down upon you. And these are minimal things, are they not? Ball practice and school obligations and work schedules. But we're talking about the cross of Christ. We're talking about Christian ministry. The salvation of the world or the eternal damnation of the world. These things are important. Well, the key to the four Beatitudes here is found at the end of verse 22. So he says, Blessed are you when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. That's the key. In all of this, our goal, our motive, the end should be for Christ's sake. Things that in themselves would be a curse become a blessing when we're willingly enduring them for Him. We find this illustrated for us in the apostles as they are beaten and thrown out of town. They don't begin to present their own woes to God. We do that at times. They get up and they brush the dirt off of themselves. And they, I imagine, the Bible doesn't say they do this, but I imagine they look at each other and be like, man, you've got a bad black eye this time. Oh, I think your nose is crooked, Paul. I don't, it's never going to be straight again. They get beaten and thrown out of town and they brush themselves off and they get up and they go to do it again at the next town saying, how great is it we get to do this for Jesus? Now, we, we, the church today, would have them committed. But say there's something wrong with these guys. They're not, they're not being safe. <laughs> you can't tell I'm sick of hearing about being safe. I'm more concerned with you being saved. I would love to see some of you be a little unsafe. To do something risky. For Jesus' sake. Oh, I, I, I don't want you guys to beat me up and throw me out the front door. Now, if I'm, if I'm being a heretic, let's go for it. I'll help you. You know, No, Cameron. You got a little too excited there. But these guys, they said, whether we like this or not, for Christ's sake, we, we will do this. In fact, they, they practiced what Jesus said in those times. He said, when these things happen, when you're hated, when you're despised, when you're separated from men, rejoice. Leap for joy. And I believe that's what they did. So our motive must be love for Christ. Otherwise, even the most heroic sacrifices that we make will seem worthless. Well, Jesus goes from there to the woes. So there's these supreme blessings and then... There are these woes. Woe to the rich in verse 24. But woe unto you that are rich, for you have received your consolation. He says, you have your reward. And then he says, woe to the full in verse 25. He says, for you shall hunger. And then woe to you that laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And then woe unto you when men shall speak well of you, all speak well of you, for so do their fathers to the false prophets. So I'll give it to you briefly, and then I'm going to break it down as a whole. First, woe to the rich, because that is your reward. Woe to the full, because you're eventually going to get hungry again. Woe to you who laugh, because you're eventually going to have to mourn and weep. Woe to you who are well spoken of, because this is how false prophets are treated. And those who speak truth are not always well spoken of. The four woes all share this common truth. You take what you want from life, and you pay for it. If you want immediate wealth, if you want immediate fullness, if you want immediate laughter, if you want immediate popularity, 
Or if you want these things most of the time or even all of the time, you can get it, but there is a price to pay. And the price is, that is all you're going to have. This is not Jesus saying it's wrong to be happy. In fact, I think one of the predominant themes through these verses is, here's how to have true happiness. So he says, woe to you who laugh. Well, he's not saying, don't tell jokes and laugh. We were going down the road this week on a trip and... I heard Parker in the, the back of the car there. He had gotten one of our phones and he had FaceTimed my mother. Of course, I immediately said, oh, what's on the radio? She's still my mom. I don't want to get in trouble. And, uh, but I heard him back there. He had brought a joke book along with him and he was reading jokes to his grandmother over the, over the phone with a joke book. Is this Jesus saying, don't do that? No, not at all. But I think if we're not careful as the church, that's sort of the... The approach we seem to take, we, we're stiff-necked. We, we've bowed out our chests. We're God's people in this world for this day. Bless God. <laughs> and don't be happy. And don't be smiling. My preacher said when I was a kid, he said he went and preached at this church one time. and He said it was the most deadhead, stiff-necked bunch of people he'd ever been around before. And he said, I swear, about halfway through one of the songs or his sermon or something, Somebody scratched their nose and they're so afraid it might have been an amen that somebody else looked over at him and said, he moved. I saw him, he moved. Let us not be this way. But Jesus says, if all you're concerned with in life is being full, well then your fullness is your reward and you're eventually going to get hungry again. If all you're concerned about in life is being rich, well then your richness is your reward and eventually your riches are going to fail. If all you're concerned about is being happy all the time, what are you going to do when somebody dies? You're going to mourn and weep then. If all you're worried about is what people think about you and being well spoken of, well then, once they speak well of you, you've had, you have your reward. It's immediate. It's temporal. There is no eternal value to it. Now as we think of this, I want you to understand the timeline of our lives. This life now is a vapor It's a grain of sand out of all the sands on all the beaches and all the oceans of the world. It's just that one blip. And then eternity. So if this is now, eternity is all the rest. It's so much more. We put so much time and effort into temporal, now, investments with our time and our talents and our resources. But how much effort are we putting into those eternal things? I divide us up this morning into two crowds. Those of us who aren't actually truly saved, so we don't see the value in eternal investments. And then those of us who are saved, and at one time we saw that value, but now we've allowed the temporal to lull us to sleep, and we've stopped being concerned with the eternal, and we're just focused on the temporal now. Jesus didn't say that any of these things are wrong. It's not wrong to be rich. It's not wrong to be happy and laughing. It's not wrong, wrong to feast and be filled. We're going to do this in a few weeks with our families at Thanksgiving dinners. It's not wrong for people to speak well of you. In fact, as we look at the qualifications of a pastor, one of the things we look for is, are they blameless in the community in which they serve? They should be well spoken of. If they're always negative spoken of with outside of doctrine. Then they have a bad reputation and they're not the best to serve in that role. So it's not Jesus saying you should be a jerk and people should never talk nice about you. 
But he says, when you're satisfied with these temporal things, in a way, that is its own judgment. Let me read you Matthew 6. Matthew 6, 19, 20, and 21 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where are you laying up your treasures? I heard someone say this recently, and I really love it. They said, Fund your 401k, but be sure you're also funding your 401h, that heavenly retirement account. And the the significance of it was it pays eternal dividends. You know, when you sit down with a guy who handles your money, maybe you handle your own money, you run these own things yourself, but you get the idea, and they'll show you this line, and you want it to always be going up, right? And what's on this side of the line? Death. That's dark and gloomy, isn't it? This guy says, now before you die, if you'll put your money here, we can help you get it up to that amount. But it's limited, is it not? They're going to, you're going to run out of years sometimes, and no matter how much your investments grow, it's going to stop. For you, at least. But heavenly investments, are, they're, they're forever. When do they stop? When do they run out? If you're in Christ, you are going to live forever now. What's the smarter investment? What's the wiser investment? Down here or up there? I'll tell you another thing about it. And as we begin to think about our own temporal investments here on this life, and I'm not telling you not do that. Don't come to me in 28 years and say, well, you told me to quit worrying about a 401k, so I didn't fund my retirement, so I don't have any money now. And you're, if you're not dead or next to it, we're going to have to figure out how to pay for your stuff. But you know, the other part of that you've got to think about is not how much it's going to grow. What's the, other, what's the other question that comes into temporal investments? What else can happen to that money? Well, it could go down. Now, there's one other person who gets a hand in this. Uncle Sam. I better save you from yourself. Some of you are going to say some things there. The government's going to get their part too. How's God work on that one? And your 401H... Is it tax-deferred or is it tax-free? What is it? Our eternal kings, he never taxes those dividends, does he? Not at all. Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt them, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Things that are eternal, things where the temporal can never get to them. This is what Jesus is saying here. As the active church in the world in this time, I think we need to consider these two lists that Jesus has presented here. Blessings and woes. And we need to decide which list comes closer to describing the way that we actually live. Lord, am I living on the blessings ends of things or am I living on the woe ends of things? Are we willing to be poor and sad and persecuted for Jesus? Or are we determined to be rich and happy and popular? Dr. Philip Ryken writes this quote, and it's lengthy, but I want to give it to you. I think it's very good. He says, we say that we want the world to know Christ, but we often spend our time trying to be more like the world. Nobody wants to be poor. Nobody wants to be hungry. Nobody wants to be full of sorrow. 
Nobody wants to be rejected. But we serve a Savior who was poor and hungry, a man of sorrows who was rejected unto death for our salvation. And when we learn to suffer for His sake, we will have His blessing. I'm not very old. I'm 38 years old. But at 13 years old, I fully surrendered, best I knew how at that time, my life to the Lord. 100%. I, I remember the night that I just said, Lord, I don't know what this means. I don't know what you're going to do with me, but I'm not going to do my own plans and dreams for life. I'm going to do what you'd have me to do. Best thing I ever did. At 15 years, the Lord called me to, to start preaching. And so I've been preaching for a pretty good long time now. I found a verse early on from David who he said, I have been young and I'm now old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken and I've never seen his seed begging for bread. And I cling to that verse. And I said, Lord, I'm not going to pursue earthly things. And I, and I do to an extent. I'm not volunteering to pastor here for free, if that's what you're wondering. I'm making the opposite point to you here. Go earn a living. Have a nice house. Get new cars. Buy a boat. Have a lake house. Go on vacations. Take in the mountains. Do all of these things. Do those things make you happy? Absolutely. It's a lot of fun to catch fish, isn't it, Brother Doug? It's, you're only happy, sad when you don't catch fish. I would give the illustration of go watch your favorite team play sports, but I'm going to go easy on that one this morning. Sorry. Uh, that's as far as I'll go, Zach. And I'll say on the other end, once in a blue moon when it goes the other way, Zach brings a tie to me that I have to wear. So he doesn't go as easy on me. If you don't know what we're talking about, that's good. Just live in that bliss, bliss of innocence that you're in there. The point I'm making to you here is that though I said, Lord, you have my life, I've never gone without a meal. I've never had to go naked. I've never had, not had a car to drive. Never not had a house to live in. I've never not had friends. I've never not had church family that's just like family, if not better than family. I've even always had family. I've had all of the things that in my mind as a 13-year-old who would hear such a sermon and think, well, this is a great sacrifice, but I'll do it. You know, in your mind at 13, when you say, Lord, you could take my life, you're thinking, I'll be a monk if I have to. I'll go live up on the side of some mountain, sit on some post and hold, fold my hands and say my prayers all day, every day. And that was the sincerity at 13 that I feel like I was having then. But I look back on it now and say, boy, it's been a blessed life. And I look forward to the future and say, I can't wait to see what else the blessings might be in life. This is not Jesus saying to his followers or to us now indirectly, you can't have any fun in life. You can't have any good things in life. This is Jesus saying, I want you to put my purposes above those things and let me fill in those gaps for you. And the things I'll put in the gaps will be better than you could have ever imagined them to be. Riken says nobody wants these things. Nobody wants to be full. Nobody wants to be rejected. But we have a Savior who was poor and hungry, a man of sorrows who was rejected unto death for our salvation. And when we learn to suffer for His sake, we will have His blessing. H.H. H. Farmer wrote that to Jesus, the terrible thing about having wrong values in life and pursuing wrong things is not that you are doomed to bitter disappointment, but that you are not. 
It's not that you do not achieve what you want, but it's that you achieve what you think you should. Do you catch that? That's the twist on this passage here this morning. That's the difference in our human temporal understanding and Jesus' heavenly, eternal teaching. When we have the wrong values, when we pursue the wrong things in life, we will have those things. And we'll think we're just fine. When in reality, we're not. When we're satisfied with the lesser things of life, the good instead of the best. I like the... Well, I just... I don't know if I should say I like it, but the old George Jones song, Once You've Had the Best. He sings to, a, to his girlfriend, I guess, and says, we broke up and we tried to date other people, but I can't be satisfied with any of those because I've dated you and you're the best. At least that's my interpretation of the song. Maybe he's talking about something a lot filthier than that. Nevertheless, the point is, you know, once you've drank Coca-Cola Classic, you don't like Diet Dr. Walmart brand. Or maybe that's your favorite brand and you don't like Coke. But what, the point is, you like what you like. What is the best? Most of us get, live and we die. And we never even get into what is the best. We never get into these blessings. We read the verse that says, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we would ask or think. We don't even know how to comprehend that because we can't think about it. If we can't wrap our minds around it, we don't want it. But in faith, God is saying, give me you. I want you, all of you. Every ounce of energy, every ounce of time, every breath, every resource. And watch what I can do with you that you would never be able to do with yourself on your own. But you think to yourself, yeah, but if I do that, I'm going to lose this, this, and this. And God's up in heaven saying, if you would just lose that life, you would gain this other life, which would include this, which is that times ten. When we're satisfied with the lesser things of life, when we're satisfied with what is good, but it's maybe not the best, then our successes add up as only failures. We're spiritually bankrupt people, and we do not even know it. I was studying about this this week, and I came across the story of a duck. And the story is that there's a duck flying across Europe in the spring, and along the way, he looks down onto a farm, and he settles in with some tame ducks who are being fed corn every day. And he thinks to himself, I'm only going to stay for an hour and then I'm going to fly on. But there was so much food that he stayed for the day and then he stayed for the week and then he stayed for the whole summer. When the next fall came around, he heard a flock of wild ducks pass over his head. And when he heard their wild call, he flapped his wings and he rose up to join them in the migration. But by this time he was so fat, No matter how much he struggled, he failed to get any higher than the roof of the barn. So he went back down to the ground and settled in for yet another winter. The next time he heard the duck's call, the call of the wild, he lifted up his head excitedly, but by then he couldn't even get off the ground. Eventually, he grew so satisfied with his life in the barnyard, eating the corn, that he didn't even look up and notice the wild ducks at all. Now that's a cute little duck story. But I'll say to you this morning that I fear that we're, we're all a lot of corn-fed Christians. Well, God is so good to us. He blesses us so much. 
I think we're worried over things that he never even intended for us to have to even bring before him because he just assumed we just trust him for those things and worry over big things. But we've settled for less. If we're not careful, we begin to gorge on what the world has to offer. With every intention to fly off and go again. I think this happened to a lot of folks through COVID. I just can't seem to get back into the routine of my Christian walk. Took a little break and now I'm stuck. And don't sit there and just blame it on that because you all are here. It's something else for you this morning, isn't it? I have a friend in Georgia who, he's older than me. I've always had, seemed to have older friends, but I guess he's probably 60-ish now. But as he, when I was younger, he was a lot youthier and He'd always felt like God was calling him to preach, and he always intended to surrender his life to the Lord to preach. He just never got around to it. He had to raise the kids. He had to work his job. He had to plan his retirements. He had to manage his investments. But when that's your mentality toward the Lord, you'll never get around to the things of the Lord. Oh, you'll talk to him because you're stressed about the investment or over one of the kids. But in reality, the thing God wants you working on with Him is that surrendering of your life to Him in spite of all those other things. We gorge on the world. We intend to take off and fly again, but we stay a little longer and we taste a little more of the sweetness of temporal sin. For a while, we still go to church. We still hear what God has to say. But even in that, eventually we decide we just don't have time or it's just not worth the effort. The irony of this is that we begin to feel that we are full when we're actually starving. People who do not have a craving for God do not feed on His Word. And soon they go starving for lack of fellowship with Him. If you've been a part of a church that didn't preach the word and embraced our church where we focus on preaching the word, you know just what I mean. You didn't know you were starving, and then all of a sudden you start getting fed. And I see the look on your face anytime we we do anything a little bit off schedule. You're just like, "Mm, get the word, buddy. I came here to eat. Feed me. Sometimes we have to do things just a little bit off. And I apply that. But it's applicable in so many other areas of your life. You're in a church that teaches the Word. You got that one fixed. But what about the rest? The world's values are not God's values. We have to conclude that and then start there as our baseline. The Christian enjoys all that God gives him because he lives with God's values. He lives with eternal values in mind instead. So you must ask this morning, how am I living my life? And you can be sure by admitting which category you fall under here in these two attitudes Jesus presents. The blessings and the woes. Are you content with being poor and hungry and sorrowful or even hated? Or must you always be rich and full and laughing and well spoken of? That's the sermon. Let's stand and pray.
Father, no doubt we all have a thing or two to deal with in our time of response today. So I ask your blessing upon this time. May we be serious with you and honest with ourselves. Lord, I pray especially this morning for those who are playing church but aren't saved. Lord, I ask you to help them to surrender to you by faith and salvation. Lord, I pray for those that you've called but they won't surrender. I pray you would help them this morning to forget trying to work, work on all the details and just give their lives to you fully. Lord, I pray that we would all consider this morning where we are in the grand scheme of these things. Are we living with eternal values as first and temporary things as second? Or have we gone the other way and put the secondary things first, which have choked out even the thoughts of the eternal? Lord, help us to consider the blessings that come with being eternally minded and the woes that you, Jesus, gave to us when we're focused on things that are temporal. Use this time to mold us and make us into your image. This we pray through Jesus. Amen.